I don't think that a big swing in the price in the US dollar price would change much here. Like I think I I mean I'm a I'm a convicted bitcoiner, you know, probably all the way to, you know, sub $1. <laughs> so I'm I'm not sure if the price per se would lead to that. Welcome back everyone. This episode I'm delighted to have my good friend of almost 3 years, Max Hillebrand on the show with me to talk about his opinion on Tether. Max is slightly a different type of guest than what we're normally accustomed to. He is a hardcore Bitcoin maximalist and Bitcoin privacy expert. He has worked for Wasabi Wallet for uh, quite a few years and has contributed greatly to a lot of the open source code in the Bitcoin community more broadly. Max and I had an interesting discussion about privacy, uh, Wasabi Wallet 2.0, which is the upcoming um, privacy improvement to the Wasabi Wallet uh, code base. What I've decided to do is to uh, streamline this podcast and just fast forward to the moment where he and I talk about uh, his opinions on Tether. For more about Max, please check out his website, TowardsLiberty.com. Max Hillebrand, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much, Avi, for inviting me. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Uh, and not just hearing your voice, but being part of it uh, is fun right now. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, uh, Max, you and I, we, we go way back. Uh, unfortunately, I think I think cause <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the issue here is that, you know, you and I, we work together. I am curious to where you think that there is a loss in the trade-off where um transparency is important where is financial transparency um beneficial to to us yeah transparency is essential uh, it is as important as the the secrecy um right and again uh privacy is about choice right and the choice inc includes both extremes right to to choose not to tell someone the information or to choose to tell someone the information, right? And, and and both are well adequately valid and all right to be done. The aspect that you can be secretive in some occasions, right, where it's very much necessary, uh, is is obvious, right? I mean, we see it here in this conversation. Sure, we could be having it off the record and just by us too, and be not transparent but very secretive. Well, but ultimately, that wouldn't. I mean, I'm sure we would have a bunch of fun, but it wouldn't solve the problem of you know educating more people about uh, Bitcoin and privacy. So, uh, ultimately, we want to be transparent right here, right now, by sharing out uh, uh, you know this information publicly. And the same is true in Bitcoin, right? We we want to be transparent because we want other people to verify our transactions. Right? That's the gist of the Nakamoto consensus, right? That somehow this random group of people who don't trust each other on the internet, right, come to the same conclusion of which transaction is valid or not. What I want to hone in on is the trade-off with secrecy and transparency. So, you know, Bitcoin by default is transparent in the flow of funds. It's secret in terms of the user names and their like locations, for example. And there is a trade-off. And one of the downsides of this transparency is a lack of privacy for the user and the fact that people can investigate someone's funds, where they're spending money, who they work with, etc., etc. But there's also uh, the downside on the other end, which is that when we build privacy tools, we also, you know, inevitably come to a point where we know that there are going to be bad actors and you know there's no way to build a tool that empowers only good people i i think that's a very rare thing when you build a, a powerful tool you, you you're you're prepared that you're going to help a lot of good people and inevitably there's going to be a, per a bad person that uses those tools you know for example a, a car helps you know everyone on, on a regular basis but of course a criminal can you know rob a bank and then drive away in a car um, and so inevitably, tools are going to help other, uh, you know, bad guys as well. Um, the, the, the thing I want to hone in on is privacy. How do you deal with this trade-off in terms of 
knowing that there are going to be some bad actors in the space? And I, and, and you know, I, I have the same question to ask myself, of course, but I'll ask you. I think one way to look at it is through that concept of the presumption of innocence, right? that, that that idea stuck around as kind of a miracle per se, you know, that, that we presume that, that those crazy people who have, you know, every type of malice in their heart are still innocent until proven guilty. Um, that's, that's quite magical that, 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 you know, we humans actually come up with that. And it's somewhat the same with, with Bitcoin, right? Even criminals have certain powers and, and certain rights even, uh, and, the the power and right includes to do mathematicians like mathematics uh, and it includes free speech and in my opinion it even includes free movement um so with with bitcoin we have now found this way to use simply speech to send money uh, around and well criminals can speak too uh, so they will use bitcoin as well uh, probably they will be early in using Bitcoin because criminals are usually uh, early adopters of protective technologies, uh, which Bitcoin is. Um, so I don't think that we that we can do anything about that. Like you cannot stop a person from speaking, at least uh, not while keeping your own dignity. Uh, and and I'm not even sure if we should. I think that that even criminals should have, you know, uh, the the right to speak and make their case, uh, and uh, you know, even after being convicted guilty, uh, to still, you know, live a a a life worth of a decent human being. And I I I definitely understand where you're coming from because you know I feel very much the same way that just because privacy can help a criminal does not mean we should ban privacy. And from this respect, I think you and I are both very much privacy maximalists, that we believe that privacy is a fundamental right and that we should there should be no limitations on a person's ability to um, achieve privacy so long as they're they're doing it themselves. They're not, you know, hurting others. Um, one one thing that I think is unfortunate uh, that you and I both have to live with is the fact that the cryptocurrency space isn't like you, Max. Um, right now, most people are flocking to a lot of what you and I typically call shitcoins. Um, and the reason why these shitcoins exist and why they are being shilled so hard and why they're attracting so much attention is because criminals essentially uh, in, in a lot of cases there are some legitimate you know kind people out there in good communities that are trying to experiment with new ideas but in a lot of cases you have people realizing that they can get away with stealing people's money often in the form of bitcoin and never getting caught and essentially using that privacy to scam people that have heard about bitcoin that have heard about cryptocurrency and you know give up their hard earned money and so one of the downsides I think you and I agree with is that the cryptocurrency space has a pretty big fraud problem. We have a lot of bullshit in the space that attracts money from people and that gets away with it because of, you know, the, the very freedoms that we're also discussing in this conversation. Yeah, that's that's very tough, you know, and it's somewhat of a question of, uh, you know, what what monster have we created here? <laughs> um and I, I it's you know i th i think this is then more of a question of, of faith in humanity right will will given the the opportunity to do either great good or great harm uh what will be the prevalent choice um es especially when not just you know one or two persons get to make that choice but well everyone um and with these new technologies, well, the the power to steal from people is is you know going ever ever more crazy. Especially you know to scale your theft and and to steal from hundreds or thousands or, or millions of people at the same time, and uh, that's that's quite extraordinary. Um, I'm not sure that Bitcoin can fix that though. Let Let me ask you this question. And it's a, it's a tough one because I've been asked the same thing. But what percent of Bitcoin users 
do you reckon are bad actors? And then another question, which is what percent of crypto broadly consists of bad actors? Well, that's tough. Um, I mean, in, you know, in my personal bubble of the people that I meet, uh, I, I hope that only a, a small dwindling percentage of them are actually scammers who steal from others. Um, to, uh, to how that is in the Lord, in, in the general realm? Ah. Uh, I mean, really tough to say, but I would guess something between one to three percent, you know, the usual number of psychopaths in, in society. And I, that's an interesting response. I, I would venture to guess that it, with the cryptocurrency more broadly, it, it, it cannot be that low. Like, for example, let's take Hex. Hex is number six or number five on coin market cap right now. So that's just an obvious scam, right? Hex. Did you, do you know about Hex and Richard Hart? As, uh, the, 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 as usual, and, and yes, it's yet another shitcoin that's going to shitcoin. And yes, it's a scam. Right. So what, what I'm saying is, you know, if you told me that if, if I looked at the Bitcoin community and it was 90% people that subscribe to Max Hillebrand and that talk about privacy and self-custody and that don't pay attention to pump and dump shitcoin scams, then I would say, you know, Max, you're probably right. It's probably a few percentages of people that are, are bad actors. The problem is that, you know, unfortunately, Bitcoin is like half of the space. So it's not even a majority at times, at least the, the feeling that I get. The majority is like the Binance, right, of the space. That is, you know, all of the different pump and dumps, all of the new tokens, all of the ICOs, the NFTs. That is what is probably more than 50%. And inside that more than 50%, I, it's, it's hard to find, you know, even half of those people that are genuinely good actors. In a lot of cases, I would say um, they're, they're, they're just not. They're, they're, they're opportunists that are, you know, that couldn't care less about cypherpunk philosophy, about protecting rights, about building something for the future. It, it seems to be just a facade to exploit people's um, you know, excitement into a new budding space and really just a marketing ploy. Um, you know, wi window dressing on on um something that may actually be valuable. Uh, and I I, I think you you agree with, with you know excluding Bitcoin. I think you'd probably agree with this. Yes, for sure. Uh, because any new technology brings so much uncertainty and unknown. And uh, ignorant or nascent people are much, na much more naive and uh, for sure can be stolen uh, from more. So, yeah, I, I would agree. This is a, a market ripe for scammers. And it's, you know, it's something that when we look at the forensics companies and when we see the behavior that's happening, um, uh, we see a, a higher than normal tendency towards engaging in scams and frauds. Because, you know, Ethereum really made that possible. Um, you know, Bitcoin in the early days, people copy-pasted Bitcoin to make Litecoin and Dogecoin-type derivatives. But Ethereum really opened the door to, you know, you know, it's kind of like Build-A-Bear. But instead of Build-A-Bear, it's Build-A-Ponzi, right? You can build your own Ponzi in just 15 minutes with ERC-20 uh, standard. You can give your Ponzi a very clever name, and then you can encourage people to, to get in on your shitcoin. Um, and to, to give you tons of money for, for you, know, you know, bullshit. And now Cardano is, is trying to take that, that fraudulent market um, with their uh, smart contracting uh, applications. So what we notice is that there just are a lot of, of, of bad actors. And th there's something that I've been hearing a lot about, and I'm curious what you think about this, but the concept of self-regulating, the, the idea that the crypto space would regulate itself. Do you think that's a viable path? And if so, how does that look like? I think it works on the micro scale. And I, I think that Bitcoin is the, the perfect evidence for that. Right? Bitcoin is a closed ecosystem uh, that regulates itself 100% uh, successfully. And I would actually agree with you that Bitcoin self-regulates on a network level. In that, you know, the, mo the, the most proof of work uh, defines the, the, the chain and uh, you have rules in place and soft forks and, and very rarely hard forks. And if people really don't like the rules, they can hard fork and they can establish their own, um, you know, you know, uh, uh, flavor of Bitcoin. 
uh, the concern that I have that I'm seeing more and more is that when it comes to the space more broadly, the space that Bitcoin lives in, the water that makes up this, you know, you know, fish tank, um, there is very little in terms of self-regulation that I see and more and more harm is the result of our inability to regulate, you know, because I think you and I can agree, Max, that if we could stop ICOs from happening, you and I would click that button so quickly because there's no way that, I mean, actually, this is an interesting one. Maybe you would argue that to, to, to stop ICOs is a form of impeding on someone's rights. But I think in terms of harm, you and I can agree that ICOs aren't smart. It's just a, a way often for people to take your real value, often in the form of Bitcoin for, um, you know, you know, fraudulent and misleading projects. And, you know, th this is where I think there is a critical conversation to be had between, uh, between Bitcoiners, not even with the external world, but just in the Bitcoin community. And I struggle to have it. And I, I think that's why you're here is because I want to have that conversation um, because it's important. There are things in the Bitcoin space right now that, that have a potential to harm Bitcoin. And that discussion of mitigating and self-regulating isn't being had. And the big, the big thing on my mind, at least in the last few months, and I, and I know you've been, you know, you've sort of been made aware of this, but uh, I, don't, I don't think you've, you've kind of done any deep dives. But what's on my mind is the damage that an actor like Tether could play in the crypto, in the, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So let's start with that. Max, how do you see Tether and, uh, and, and what do you know and what are your sort of initial uh, thoughts? Yeah, Tether is for sure a, a highly interesting new occurrence in, well, in, in monetary banking per se, right? It's, it's a very interesting thing to, to an analyze. Uh, and... I think fundamentally it is simply a money warehouse, at least in concept and in the you know public advertisement. It places itself as a money warehouse, right? And and this is greatly defined by Murray Rothbard as a, a institution or company that takes in your money proper and your your base money, uh, your uh, uh, an asset without a counterparty risk, and and you give away away the ownership and control of this money, hand it into the bank, and then in exchange get a, a paper certificate, you know, a, a ticket that claims that whoever holds this paper can redeem a, a certain amount of that money proper in the money warehouse. Right? Basically, this is a vault construct, and you get you know, a small ticket that you have 10 grams of gold in your vault. And that is what makes up a money um, money warehouse institution. And there's then one additional step that when these money certificates start to trade as money, right, as if they were the actually money per se, right, that people think that this one paper ticket of one gram of gold in the vault is equivalent and has the same price as the single gram of gold when you actually hold it in hand, right? So that point where a money substitute, um, uh, or sorry, a money certificate gets used as a money per se, it becomes or it turns into a money substitute. And that's an ver a very interesting point. Um, and Tether is basically that, uh, just applied for uh, fiat, well, for fiat money instruments. Um, I think for a long time their public advertisement was that they uh, that they're always redeemable at cash and that they are fully backed with cash, um, which is base money, um, and the only form of base money that this institution can hold, uh, because as far as I would guess is that Tether does not have a account on the central bank's balance sheet. When you then here, of course, have a, a, a false advertisement and a false positioning in the market uh, that there are other assets backing your bank than are for real, uh, then we turn pretty quickly uh, into fraud. Right now, 
are you aware of how large of a role Tether plays in the cryptocurrency ecosystem? And I'm including Bitcoin, of course, like the, the relationship that Tether and Bitcoin have. Yes, I think it's it's quite substantial, right? And just because, well, Tether set out to fix a horrible problem of the fiat market, that there is no international way to you know, send fiat-denominated assets quickly around. Um, and Tether, well, tries to solve that. And because it actually is a useful solution to a real problem, well, many people end up using it. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I do think that the the liquidity usage of tether is substantial and i, I want to point out that the biggest use case for tether right now is that offshore unregulated exchanges exchanges that are trusted third parties exchanges that can sell data that can act as ponzi schemes that can steal user funds um that shill icos that profit off of traders getting fleeced these exchanges, and I'm going to call out Binance because they're the biggest culprit in, in, in this offshore unregulated nonsense. These exchanges depend on Tether because these exchanges cannot get access to real dollars. So the best thing they can get is a dollar substitute, as you've described, right? The concern here is that more than 50%, arguably 60%, if not more than even that, than that of the space depends on offshore unregulated exchanges and their incredible dependence on Tether. So this is the first thing. This is a huge problem right now. And the second thing to add to that is Tether's reputation and exactly the situation that Tether is in right now. So for example, what would, in terms of, so, so firstly, are you aware of how many units of Tether are currently claimed or are in existence that are claimed to be backed by assets in a reserve? Well, the, the last number I heard on your show was was something of sixty billion, but um, I'm not sure if if it has been pumped up even more in the past. So it's 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 currently exactly right. It, it's it's just over that. It's sixty two billion dollars. Um, now this is a gigantic number for a you know for any one financial institution to hold in reserves, and nevertheless, this space has this gigantic injection of $62 billion of cash on the balance sheet. And it's entirely dependent on the legitimacy of the company that makes that promise. Uh, let's start, let me start by asking, where is Tether? Where are they, um, like physically? That is a great question. Um, I, I, I would hope that they, I mean, there, there are multiple aspects of it, right? For one is the, the actual cash, and then there are probably some paper certificates uh, for, you know, stock ownership or, or bond ownership, uh, I'm guessing. And then for the other alternative, well, it, it got to lie with, with some broker or at least some, you know, clearing and settlement house. So Tether as a company is, number one, completely offshore. They jumped around in terms of where they were registered for a while. Um, again, Caspiancy and Bennett Tomlin are probably the go-to uh, people in the space for the facts about, you know, the, the history of Tether. Um, at one point, they were out of Hong Kong, but uh, they had no offices there. Um, they just had a P.O. box, essentially. Uh, so Tether is completely offshore. What's worse is that, you know, the assets that back Tether, does it concern you that nobody knows of the whereabouts or proof or nature of these assets, apart from very modest hints from the company itself that aren't even, you know, in any accounting discipline, we would not consider this factual. But no one has any clue of what kind of assets back these $62 billion. Does that concern you? Yeah, that's, that's something very interesting that you pointed out in the past as well, right? That we're talking about sums here that would turn them very quickly into one of the largest player in these markets. And uh, where they would be, well, first of all, very much looked upon, right? And, and scrutinized uh, by all of the, the regulators in the space as what they do is, is, is obviously um, <laughs> questionable at least, or at least uh, in, in the classical fiat eyes, uh, a no-go. So it's it's odd that there that this size of endeavor uh, could exist without more public scrutiny. And the concern I have is that 
what you're doing by providing privacy tools in Bitcoin, in my view, is a good cause. And in my view, what you're doing is also challenging. It's technically interesting and it's, it's hard work and it can protect a lot of people's fundamental rights. The problem that I see right now isn't your work in privacy. It's the fact that Tether um, may be, in, 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 a, in a very important way, hurting or making into a scam or making into a, a, an incredibly large fraud the Bitcoin space because we don't have an effective way of regulating them. So let, let, me, let me ask you this. We have no idea the money that backs Tether. Tether has an incredibly long history of plainly lying. So at one point for about a year in the 2017-2018 period, they lost all their backing because they gave it to a Panamanian payment uh, processor, essentially an unregistered um, um, money service business called Crypto Capital Corp. And that company was then like shut down and arrested and Tether had no backing for the almost billion dollars that they had issued in the Tether tokens. And the New York Attorney General essentially banned them from the state of New York and uh, concluded that they lied. And these lies and deceptions and lack of, of positive proof, that is to say, a clean audit that just shows where the assets are and what the assets are composed of, this essentially leads us to, to, to think that they could be a very fraudulent actor in this space. And the extent of that fraud is that they might be doing what you and I would, would say is a less than positive thing about, you know, um, about a, a central bank, which is printing money out of thin air. What, what in your view would happen if the U.S. government, uh, you know, were to knock on the door of Tether or if Tether were to collapse and vanish from the space? What, what do you think would happen to the industry? Um, if this systemic risk, you know, imploded on itself? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think to answer that, let's first dive down what would happen if there would be uh, an, an uncovered, uh, or what would happen if Tether issues more tokens than they actually have backing, you know, in an economic point of view? Because, well, believe it or not, there is a stellar amount of research in exactly this, right, by Ludwig von Mises and Mary Rothbard and others, that if you have such a money warehouse right, that promises that they have 100% backing of the, the assets um, like, compared to the amount of tokens that they give out, right? and if they really uphold that claim, then that means that for all, for all of the, the, the perceived purchasing power that the, uh, that the company issues you know, in terms of the tokens, um, that purchasing power was previously kind of locked up into or it invested or put into the money warehouse per se, right? So we have an amount of resources that goes in and the equal amount of resources, just in a different representation, goes out. Right? And this does not really lead to any disturbances per se. Where then the issue comes in is when the creator of, of these money substitutes increases the supply of the tokens in access to the supply of base money in the money warehouse itself. And this is uh, what, what is known as inflation. Uh, in uh, A specific type of inflation with a money substitute in existence. Right, So we inflate actually not the base money supply per se, but we inflate the money substitute supply. And because the money substitute is traded at par to the base money per se, right? What I spoke about previously. Um, now this starts to lead to structural malinvestments and overconsumption, right? So because what does that mean? Right? There were $1,000 being deposited at the Tether Bank, and then they with, or they they issue 2000s worth of, of tokens uh, out for use. So here we have a, a doubling of perceived purchasing power by the people who hold these tokens. Right? They think that they are more richer than they actually are. They think they control more resources than they actually do. And when not just one person, but, but many people believe that, 
then what we see in this market is a structural malinvestment in projects that are marginally worse, right? And uh, that that tend to go longer rather than shorter, right? So these these long term um, kind of you know a thousand x or nothing uh, big bet kind of deals that are have a very small likelihood of succeeding pretty big, uh, but a very large likelihood of failing completely. Um, that's the one side, the malinvestment, and then the other inside is the the overconsumption. Right, people going out and buying their Lambos uh, in because they feel so rich, because all of a sudden they have their 2,000 tokens on paper. And just from observing the the space uh, and, and the economy, it for sure seems that especially in those markets where Tether is used, we see a lot of these um, uh, across-the-board... Um, well, malinvestment and overconsumption, these uh, natural exuberance. So just from that observation alone, it could be explained that a inflation in the tether uh, uh, token supply would lead to such an outcome. Now, that's no logical proof that there is actually inflation in tether, but I'm saying that if there were, these were some of the consequences that I would have expected. If tether is printing money out of thin air, right? That is only partially backed. So they're greatly inflating the on-paper uh, real value that's entering the ecosystem. The result is that everyone perceives that assets are greatly appreciating. And here we're talking about Doge and Sheeb Token and Hex and all of these scams that have appreciated greatly in January, February, March, April, May. You know, even now we still see some of these scams like uh, getting a lot of traction. Um, now, the, the the concern and the issue here is that, you know, this institution that's doing that may very well be greatly inflating all of these prices. And the thing is that this is unsustainable. Yes, because what I described before is the what's known as the boom period during the Austrian business cycle theory. Right. So when we increase the money supply. People spend too much on investments and they spend too much on consumer goods, right? But that feels like a party, right? That feels like everyone is getting rich, everyone is doing super well, and on everyone is wealthy as, as fuck. Uh, and it feels great, you know, the roaring 20s kind of. Um, but, but then you realize that there are not enough resources, real, actual, scarce resources. They're not enough to finish all of the projects that we started. Right? There was, there's literally not enough capital, you know, uh, specific capital uh, in the economy to fill all of the things that we wanted to build. And that is where the bust comes in. Ludwig von Mises pointed out that this, the switch between or from boom to bust period happens when we have then a, a, a crunch of, of that access in the, um, a, a, a crunch in the redemption of the base money supply, right? So, so if, a lot of people would run to the Tether Bank and start redeeming all of their Tether tokens for cash. Right, pretty soon it would be obvious that they that the Tether company cannot redeem all of their obligations in actual cash. In the Bitcoin space, we have this substitute money Tether. It is unregulated, and as a result, we don't know just how bad things could get in terms of people being able to redeem. For starters. Even the concept of redemption is almost off the table. It's unclear if anyone can actually go to Tether and get cash back from those Tether tokens. I'm curious why a lot of people that are in the Bitcoin space don't want to talk about Tether and why there isn't more active, um, you know, verification, you know, this attitude of don't trust, but verify. Uh, a good example, I think, is Adam Back. You know, Adam Back right now is a huge supporter of Tether. He's asking everyone to stop fudding uh, all this news. But I think, you know, you, you and I, we've seen, you know, Mt. Gox, for example, was a good example of, a, of an exchange that was insolvent. And we trusted as a, as, a, as a third party. And that went bust. We've seen lots of exchanges do this. This is just another example of that. So wh why is it that the Bitcoin space continues to ignore this problem and 
how can we make that conversation more approachable for you know bitcoiners yeah that's that's a good question um i mean why do people in general support something like tether well i think because it is useful in concept right to to have a money substitute that is issued in some digital form in in some cryptographically verifiable form uh, like tether is uh, that's that's useful um, as such and you can build cool things with that right and uh, you know just like for example blockstream liquid is kind of tailor-made to to satisfy exactly that uh, this kind this kind of use case um and on the other well but on the other hand you know many people do at least uh shout from the mountaintops things like you know not your keys not your coins right that at least you need to get out of the custodial exchanges uh which is which is i i would say pretty successful but maybe one of the weird things with tether is that you can store the tether token on your own private keys as well right and you it that would kind of seem that um you can with withdraw it from the exchange in a way that you own it and nobody else does right but but max you you would agree that holding your own tether token is not reclaiming ownership because again this is a substitute money this is not the real money so the the the, the problem as well the other point that you just mentioned which is that you can withdraw your bitcoin from exchanges so in other words boycott exchanges that have tether as their fundamental you know uh, foundation for how they're, you know, engaging in trades and operating. That's fantastic. But here's another very tricky and very difficult thing. And, and you, you, you mentioned this earlier in this conversation, which is that Tether may have caused an incredible boom cycle. And that might have gotten a lot of good people to enter the space. It for sure has encouraged a lot of very bad people to enter at the same time. But here's what's unfortunate when it does come to an end and you know if people don't ask questions um we'll never you know well you know it it, it will essentially um uh, uh, uh come to an end and not asking questions will not prevent that but when it does come to an end it will hurt everyone not just the good actors but the bad actors also i don't think you've ever touched tether i personally haven't touched tether at least not knowingly and nevertheless, it affects us greatly. Yes, that's very true. And another thing to consider is that these resources that are now consumed because of the inf potential inflation in Tether, um, that means that the resources cannot be spent in other places, right? They are scarce resources. Once, once you consume them, they're gone. So with that unnatural exuberance and, and perceived wealth, right, we, we kind of squander resources uh, and especially resources that were already in the cryptocurrency market, right? So almost there to be employed for the proper use for Bitcoiners, but then they kind of got hijacked by that mis, um, misstimulation of the market, so to say. So this opportunity cost is something to consider as well. Yes. And so, look, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, you and I, we come from the same place in terms of our, a lot of our vision and our, and our goal in, 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 in Bitcoin. Um, we're both privacy advocates. Uh, and the, the struggle that I have, and I'm trying to sort of understand is, um, how can we make this conversation? Um, how do we, how do we have a healthy conversation about, uh, these systemic risks? Because, Here's the reality right now, Max, and, I, and this is something where I think we might disagree right now. It is hard for me to tell a person to hold any money in Bitcoin right now, knowing in the back of my mind that at any moment, the U.S. Department of Justice could knock on a single door and seven exchanges go insolvent overnight. And this repercussion is that almost Everything is going to be in the red. And unfortunately, Bitcoin, it, it will definitely not suffer as much as HEX and as much as these malinvestments, but it will suffer. And so that, that's the concern right now. There is no tenable way 
for us to encourage Bitcoin more broadly than just a last resort vehicle if we have such a, a big systemic risk that's that's you know you know at, at the center of this discussion i don't know how to have that discussion i hope this discussion that we're having between us now um you know opens that door but you have a lot of actors like anthony uh, pompoliano the uh, the pomp guy um you know he nonstop just shuts down any discussion you know he shut down uh what, what was the guy from cnbc um Jim Cramer. He shut down Jim Cramer from any response about Tether because he just buries his head in the sand. And the same thing goes for someone who I respect dearly, like Adam Back, you know, the, the person, one of the few people directly mentioned in the Bitcoin white paper is actively discouraging thoughtful skepticism and inquiry against Tether, essentially calling people like Bennett Tomlin and Caspianzi who are doing the very best they can to ask those tough questions, he's essentially calling them fudsters, you know, just people who are gleefully and joyfully, you know, writing FUD for no other reason than clicks, which is crazy because Bennett and Cass both are pro-crypto and they get very little money from their endeavor of, of being skeptical. What they get a lot of is hatred right? Because people feel that they're actively hurting their investments. You know, how, how, how do we bring the, how do we turn this community to think critically about Tether? How, how do we make progress there? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lost for words. How do we have this, this, this difficult discussion? That's a great question. And I think we can kind of you know, pick a strategy similar to convincing people to withdraw their Bitcoin out of custodial exchanges. And that's that's kind of the this this or a similar problem. And then here we did it just by well, a, a kind of establishing establishment of a, a kind of a, a proud culture, you know, to that controlling your own keys is something to that you should strive forwards, right? We kind of made it public that this was a goal to have when being a Bitcoiner, right? To control your own keys. And that's why, I mean, at least after years of peddling that narrative, slowly it seems that many people, you know, naturally and by default do that thing as the first thing uh, as soon as they buy their Bitcoin. Uh, so maybe that's that's something that will work. But on the other hand, right? Withdrawing from custodial exchanges to Bitcoin is great because it works, right? Because Bitcoin is that alternative to holding Bitcoin in a money warehouse. But the sad thing is that there is no alternative to Tether, right? There, there simply is none right now. Um, and therefore, or, you know, other stable coins included, but there is no, you know, programmable representation of fiat that can be sent around globally. Do you think it's safe right now and practical to tell a person to hold Bitcoin, given that we currently don't have a, you know, solution that is, you know, even 50% of the stablecoin demand? Well, again, what's the alternative here? And uh, there is really no other alternative to, to Bitcoin if, if you're serious about, you know, having a, um, well, self reliant self-sufficient monetary system right so well probably the alternative is gold and uh even you know the the sad thing is that tether is yet another kind of fuck up in the fiat system i i just think that this is yet another exclam or uh, yet another use case of why the fiat system is so deeply broken and that we do need a proper alternative for it. But the problem with Tether, I'm not sure if it's, a, if, if it's the fiat system as much as it is uh, lacking regulations. You know, if, if we had audits every month from Tether, there, this discussion would be pointless. We would just be saying, look, you know, they, they have backing. Um, they're a legitimate money um, substitute. So what's the, what's the point in having this discussion? The problem is there are no regulations right now that seem to be um, you know, um, uh, abided by, 
by the Tether company. Um, and there's a complete lack of transparency in the one area where transparency is incredibly important. And the result is a huge amount of malinvestment, as you described. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at, at, at a loss of words. One of the questions here, though, is like if the government would come and shut down the Tether company, wouldn't it be more realistic to assume that 10 new companies would spring up to provide a very similar service in new jurisdictions uh, and that just, you know, start to hunt all over again? That's you're absolutely right. That's possibility. The, the, the thing here is that once a company is shut down, like Tether, and I'm sure you've heard of Liberty Reserve. We talked about this on your podcast, actually, not too long ago. Liberty Reserve was a money, like a private money, with this model of locking up gold in a vault and then letting you send this Liberty dollar back and forth to people. And there was very high privacy, and therefore there was a lot of what the U.S. government classified as money laundering. Um, once the government shut that down, Notice how there aren't a lot of companies excitedly trying to make another Liberty dollar because once you know that the FBI and the Department of Justice and the SEC have, you know, have pointed out like this is the precedent that we're setting, it's going to change things, you know, permanently. What would you say to someone like Adam Back or, or you know, uh, Pomp who are, you know, dismissing this, this news? I mean, I think Adam Back is even encouraging liquid tethers on his liquid platform. Um, thereby, you know, getting other Bitcoiners to, you know, hold exposure to this, you know, this very likely gigantic fraud. Um, do you think that they have some culpability in, 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 in this entire, uh, um, uh, house of cards? Well, I, I would say that trusted third parties are always security holes, right? And that it should not be a new thing or considered FUD to point out that money warehouses are uh, potentially dangerous, especially when they get to a too large and systematic basis, and especially when there's an easy way for them to pull off an exit scam, um, uh, which arguably all three things uh, might apply for Tether. Uh, so that's, that's, yeah, why I'm a bit also frustrated that this is shut down or... or being talked down upon because it is the obvious, you know, it's Mount Gox all over again. It's Liberty Reserve all over again. The The reason why Tether will fail is exactly the reason why we're searching for Bitcoin for 30 years, <laughs> because uh, we need a system without trusted third parties. And a money reserve fund like Tether or money warehouse like Tether simply cannot provide that censorship resistant financial access. And if you mistake a system like Tether to be that non-custodial risk-free asset uh, and you build projects and systems and protocols on top of that, then that turns into yeah, like systematic uh, failure of, of your entire project just because the underlying infrastructure is broken. So what, what you're saying is, you know, I, I agree with it entirely, and I feel like you are, are being very honest in this discussion um, in terms of, you know, you know ad admitting that this is a, a tough thing, like this is not something that you or I want in the space. You know, I know that in 2017 and 2018, we would laugh at Tether. At the time, it was a much smaller part of the ecosystem, but you and I would always say, like, why would anyone hold Tether? Why, does pe why do people trust Tether? Um, you know... Now it's it's really exploded. I mean, again, remember, it, it, since January they printed forty something billion dollars, and so I guess the the question I have for you is: Is there any point in this t you know tether story where you no longer have that confidence to hold Bitcoin um, as a majority part of your of your wealth? Is there any part point where you say, you know what, I think I'm just gonna step out of this. I'll hold silver, gold. Maybe I'll open a bank account. Maybe I'll hold um, stocks. But you know, this Bitcoin thing is 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 risky at the moment. Yeah, that's a big question. And in general, it's very dangerous to go short Bitcoin and to capitulate. in In the history of times, that has not worked out that well for people in the past. <laughs> so definitely uh, don't short Bitcoin. I think Max and I <laughs> will agree on that. Whatever you do, do not short Bitcoin. Um, you know, and, and if and if it's if that's what it sounds like, I'm saying, uh, yeah, don't short Bitcoin. 
But uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of reducing your exposure to Bitcoin, uh, go ahead, Max. Yeah, but but you know, even selling your Bitcoin for fiat is is taking on a sh uh, like a short position in the trend towards Bitcoin, right? It's it's not a short option contract for sure, but you know, at least you're betting that in the future the price of Bitcoin will be even cheaper. That's why you're selling in now, so that you can buy back in later. Um, so, uh, at what point would that happen for me? I mean, obviously, it has to happen at some point. I don't think that a big swing in the price in the US dollar price would change much here like i think i i mean i'm a i'm a convicted bitcoiner you know probably all the way to you know sub $1 so i'm i'm not sure if the price per se would lead to that um where I'm, I might more be uh, concerned is, of course, when that would lead to, you know, weird, like weird structural, like if 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 the actual Bitcoin security protocol would be broken, then I would consider, um, you know, to move away from it. But I'm now thinking about it. I'm I'm actually like not sure how how. Um, Tether could actually break the fundamental Bitcoin Nakamoto consensus security parameters other than via drastic price volatility and therefore uh, hash rate volatility, uh, you know, and potential block confirmation time issues. Well, well, well let's talk about that for a second, because um, uh, the, the immediate concern is, is, is less so with network uh, instability which i think you know bitcoin is quite resilient as you and i are familiar with with network instability and network attacks the 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 issue here is that it, this could have a, a a gigantic um influence on the price and so when when you and i talk to people and we say like you know bitcoin is a, a tool to reclaim privacy it is a tool to undermine governments it's a tool to um uh it's a it's, it's a great last resort mechanism um, to, you know, take control and not ask for permission, we might encourage someone to buy into an asset and later they might lose everything. And, and here the important thing is to understand is that although Tether on paper is 62 and a half billion, you know, US dollars in market cap, which is 12 times smaller than Bitcoin, the reality is that it's not that Bitcoin would go down, you know, 5% or 10% when Tether collapses easily could be, you know, uh, a magnitude of 95%. Because again, we're talking about most major exchanges, which are all unregulated for the most part, that do all of the volume, essentially imploding. And the majority of the value that comes from the outside world into the space, essentially being nullified. And so, uh, unfortunately, I've thought about this, and I've asked a lot of smart people and i don't see how um that the 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 price dump wouldn't be catastrophic and i i'm curious if 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 you agree you know with with, with that as a possibility you know we've we've seen many uh, bitcoin custodial warehouses uh, you know going bankrupt in the sense of Mount Cox, of course, Poloniax, and you know all these all these other numerous exchanges. And sure, there was always a certain um, short-term volatility in the price, usually to the downside. Um, but and, and of course, it, it was quite drastic, you know, up to you know 50, 60, 70 percent, of course. But I also see that the volatility is is decreasing in the past. Now, I'm like, for, you know, for example, like uh, the, the Canadian exchange bankruptcy was smaller than Mt. Gox before that, right? So there might be a trend to small, proportionally smaller failures in, in those service providers. Um, but on the other hand, Tether is much bigger than Mt. Gox ever was. So, so there might be, like that might be the outlier, right? That it's it's it will be actually in fact a much bigger proportional impact 
even though Bitcoin grew tremendously since Mt. Cox, but Tether grew a lot too. So I'm not sure. I'm I'm um, I'm uncertain here. I I still have confidence that for one, the Bitcoin security model will hold, and that on the other hand, that Bitcoin is by now such a a large and liquid asset even in other markets where tether is not there that that might be sufficient to tamper down a volatility in the case where tether actually would go uh, bankrupt but there are also a thousand and one flavors that a bankruptcy of tether could play out right so right so so for example you have this horrible news that, like, just imagine Binance just gets shut down. Now, you and I, we never used Binance, so we don't see it as a big deal. But when you investigate user behavior in these market booms, you find out that Binance is an overwhelming player in the space. Like most people that casually talk about crypto at a coffee shop and you ask them, you know, what are they talking about? They're talking about Binance. They're talking about NFTs and Binance punks and um, uh, the ICOs, Binance does 10x more transactions than Ethereum per day, right? You know, in, 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 the, in the peaks of these boom cycles, this is a, you know, so when, when Binance goes under the, the market sentiment, it's not just the deflation of, of the value in this system. It's also the market sentiment of everyone getting screwed over all at once across multiple exchanges. This is what could trigger a huge exit as well as regulation that comes in given the political will to deal with this huge loss when the huge loss presents itself. So when, when, you, consider, when you consider all of these dominoes kind of falling down at a similar time, what you get is, you know, the, you know it's the opposite of the sky is the limit. It's the, the, the floor is the limit. You know, things can get super, super, um, super bad. Um, now, there's a lot we can talk about, but um, what I will say is, you know, I think this has been an excellent kind of like introduction conversation. And, you know, I'm so thankful, Max, that you can come on and talk and and really openly discuss this problem, especially because I know it'll attract a lot of um, legitimate cypherpunk, you know, Bitcoiners to think deeply about Tether and to do their best to... Um, you know, read a blog like, you know, Bennett's blog um, or read or uh, read the work of Caspiancy on his on his medium or or through Protoss um, and think deeply about the potential risks um, in the space. So like I, I, I you know, I've, I've worked with you for a while. I have a lot of respect for you and I I can't thank you enough for for, for coming and, and, and talking about these things. Yeah, thank you very much, Aviv, again, for for inviting me and for building that podcast, too. Uh, because I for sure have learned a whole bunch while while listening to your show, and that has been very uh, helpful also for me to you know make uh, or shape up how I think about Tether, and uh, I'm for sure more skeptical now than I I was before uh, listening to your podcast. So that's that's a great thing per se, and yeah, I I I really hope that with educational efforts like yours, uh, we will get to a, a less um, disruptive um, resolution to this open question here. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting, really. I mean, this is this is cutting edge in 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 so many levels, and that's why it's difficult um, to you know differ, difficult to compare. Uh, and and the scale is difficult, uh, different. The technology is different. Uh, the the use cases are different. It's there, there's a lot of open questions in the space, and it's it's just very overwhelming. And I totally get why people just take the quick and easy path and just gamble a bit on Binance, <laughs> you know, because that's uh, that just works. Uh, but yeah, when you really think about the nuances of all of these projects and how they interact with each other in in this liquid marketplace, it gets yeah very very complex and a lot of nuance and one thing is certain even though it, it might be rough and t turbulent times ahead uh, they are for sure one of the most interesting times uh, to be alive at so i'm 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 happy to be exploring this path with you here together aviv uh, it's it's been a lot of fun as always absolutely 
Um, Max, you are doing quite a lot in this space. You're part of Wasabi Wallet 2.0 and a lot of those features. You have your own website. You have your own podcast. Can you tell us where we can learn more about what you do and follow your work? Yes. So my personal website is towardsliberty.com and you can find me in cyberspace and on many platforms under Max Hillebrand, uh, including GitHub, which is probably for those uh, free software guys at uh, the interesting place to get some reference. Other than that, of course, Twitter, uh, where uh, a lot of knowledge is being spewed as well. Uh, and other than that, uh, hit me up. I'm happy to talk. Uh, I'm always eager to explore more nuances in this new era of, of modern banking and economics. Uh, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm eager for feedback uh, for uh, this episode and for all the others. And again, thanks, Aviv, a lot for all you do. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, you didn't mention your podcast, though. Um, what's the name of your podcast? Oh, yes. That is the Join the Wasabikas Bitcoin Privacy Podcast. Uh, and we've done a bunch of great conversations with awesome guests that build tools in, in the Bitcoin privacy space. Uh, and soon in the future, we're going to pivot a bit and explore about the magic that we've been building for the last couple of years. That is Wasabi 2.0, uh, which is so close, uh, soon in two weeks to be released. Uh, and I'm sure Aviv will hopefully come back uh, to, to join the Wasabikas there again uh, and talk about his parts in making the whole thing happen. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm happy to share that with, with my audience and, and, uh, um, and, and, you know, it's, 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 it's very exciting work for, for, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, once again, Max, thank you so much for taking the time and, and for coming on and, and talking so openly and honestly, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to touch base again in a couple of months when, um, when things progress on all fronts. Very much. Keep it up, Aviv. All right. Talk soon.